Good morning. It's great to be together on the Lord's Day. Great to be able to sing His praises and to go to Him in prayer and gather around the Lord's table and take the Lord's Supper and remember His death. So grateful for all of you here. I know our minds have been geared towards Thanksgiving this week. and That's where I want our thoughts to focus this morning. On the text that Wayne read for us and several others, these are very challenging words. Just look at what was just read a moment ago from 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you struggle with that? Is that hard for you to give thanks in all circumstances? This is repeated over and over again throughout Scripture. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or what about Philippians chapter 4, verse 6? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We could add to these the words of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. These are challenging statements. They tell us to give thanks in all circumstances for everything, always, never ceasing. But you know what? We could use a little gratitude right now. Our families could use a little gratitude. Our nation could use a little gratitude. Our church could use a little gratitude. We all could use a little gratitude in our lives right now. We have the Thanksgiving holidays on our ca calendars, which remind us of these things, and that's great. That's good, but once a year is not enough, right? We need to, according to these scriptures, thank God always in all circumstances for everything. That's a daily discipline. And that's what I want us to think about today. Now, there are the obvious blessings that we can turn to, and Craig directed our minds on the sacrifice of Jesus. That, of course, is an obvious blessing. The blessing of having hope in heaven, the blessing of having forgiveness of sins, and these are things we focus on all the time and we go to in those darkest times and we remind ourselves it could be worse. We have at least these ultimate blessings in God through Jesus Christ and we need to continue to direct our minds that way. But in the passages we're looking at, it's the little things also that we ought to be thankful for. All circumstances, in everything, in those subtler blessings, are we able to be thankful it takes a lot of perspective, but we can be thankful even in the difficult circumstances. Like when you're having trouble at work. When you have a boss that doesn't appreciate your value. When your children are rebellious against you. And don't respect you. Or when your mother-in-law hates you. Or when your neighbor is building a fence on your property. Or when your marriage is not quite what it should be, or when there's jealousy in you, among your friends, or when there's problems in your church, 
Can you be thankful in those circumstances? See, this is where it gets difficult. You can thank God for Jesus and the sacrifice that He made on the cross, and we do that, and we practice that, and we know that, but can we be thankful for all things? Can we, can we remember God in all circumstances? That's the challenge that Paul is putting before us today. And he wouldn't challenge us with it if it was impossible. It doesn't mean that you're always happy about everything, that you're glad that these circumstances happen. It means that in every circumstance, there's, there's something that you can be thankful for. So let's talk about these things. Starting, first of all, with being grateful for difficult circumstances. This is named in particular in the text, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in all circumstances. And so we'll start there. Be grateful for difficult circumstances. John F. Kennedy once pointed out that when it's written in Chinese, the word crisis is composed of two characters. And those two characters on the screen here, one of them represents danger and the other represents opportunity. Danger and opportunity together give us a crisis, which means with every trial there's an accompanying opportunity for learning, for growth, for betterment. But you can't grow through your trials by accident. You have to put the effort into looking for the purpose that can be found in those trials, and in the purpose you find the blessing. It's the purpose for which you're, you're thankful. When you can find meaning in your suffering, that's when you can find gratitude. God gets blamed for a lot of the problems we create. A lot of times when bad things happen, we say, well, it was God's will. Who are we to question God's will? But God doesn't cause all the bad things in the world to happen to us. God wants our good. He allows bad things to happen. That doesn't mean he's the direct cause of every bad thing. But in every bad thing, he can work it out for our good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. T. Pierce Brown put it this way. Not everything that happens is God's will, but in everything that happens, God has a will. Not everything that happens is God's will, but in everything that happens, God has a will. Do you believe that? I believe that's the teaching of Scripture. I think that's the beauty of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And I think that's the reason why Paul can ask us to give thanks in all circumstances, even the difficult circumstances. I think uh, it's behind 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. We often squeeze the word temptation in this passage just to refer to temptations to sin. And it does refer to temptations to sin. It includes that, but it includes so much more than that. The word here can be translated trials, tests, problems in life, difficulties. It includes all of that as well. So broaden your thinking on this. And what is Paul saying? He's saying trials are a part of life. Hardship is human experience. And everyone goes through it. You're not alone in going through it. But if you believe in God, God is faithful. And He's not going to give you a test in your life, a trial in your life that you can't handle. You're not going to get to avoid them 
But there is a way of escape to endure it. Not just a way of escape, but a way of escape to endure the trial. And the other application from this is that if we're talking about temptations as tests, temptations as trials, as all suffering as a test, then there's a way we can be better through them. That's the purpose of a test. Nobody really likes taking tests. I guess there are a few people who do. Those are strange people. But most people don't like taking tests, right? But why do we do it? Why do we put ourselves through the grueling process of studying and prepping for a test? We do that because we are wanting to grow, wanting to get better. And so if the hardships of life can be referred to as trials, which is the wording here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, number one, there's a way to escape, and number two, we can get better through them. They can make us better. Faith in the midst of crisis creates gratitude, even joy in the sufferer. In a moment of clarity, Job said this, When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And James said this in James 1, 2, and 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Trials, no matter what form they may take, are opportunities for the Christian. The difference between people of faith and unbelievers is not in the amount of suffering they undergo. I would say that probably they undergo the same amount of suffering. It's different for every person, but we all have hardships. The difference between an unbeliever and a believer when it comes to suffering is that believers can see meaning in their pain. And when you can see that, you can endure it. And not only that, you can be grateful for difficult circumstances. So that's number one, be grateful for difficult circumstances. Number two, be grateful for difficult people. Can you do that? You know, the Apostle Paul was able to do that. And the great example of that is the first letter to the Corinthians. If you look at 1 Corinthians, you see a, a whole list of problems. From chapter to chapter, Paul deals with one problem after another. The first few chapters are about division. The church was full of jealousy and envy. They were divided over who baptized them and over all kinds of other things. When you come into chapter 4, he talks about other problems. In chapter 5, he talks about sexual immorality. Chapter 6, they're suing one another. Chapter 7, they're having marriage problems and broken homes. Chapters 8 through 10, they were divided over food, whether or not to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Chapter 11, you see they had problems regarding the Lord's Supper. They were dividing over issues of, of poverty and wealth. Some were getting drunk at church. In chapter 15, they were divided over issues related to the resurrection of the dead. Chapters 12 through 14, they're divided over spiritual gifts. So many things were plaguing this church. But how does the letter to the Corinthians begin? The first letter to the Corinthians. How does it begin? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him 
and all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of your Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What does He say? I give thanks to my God always for you. Now, He doesn't say, I'm thankful that you fight with each other, or I'm thankful that you're so difficult to work with. He can find in these people something to be thankful for because they were Christians. He lists the grace of God. He lists the enrichment they received in Christ. He lists the confirmation of the testimony about Christ among them. In those verses, he talks about the fact that they weren't lacking in any, any gift. He talks about how they were waiting for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ and how Christ had the power to sustain them until that day. He talks about the faithfulness of God and the fellowship of the Lord. He found something to be thankful for, even though they were difficult people. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, to honor everyone. And somewhere in Romans 13, Paul says, give respect to all, respect them for what they are due. That every person has some level of respect that is due them. Now, do you believe that? You know, the Bible says that. That means that in every person, even the difficult people, we need to look, at, look for some good in them. There's something there. Maybe you can go, you have to go all the way back to the beginning and say, well, at the very least, they were made in the image of God. Well, that's enough. You can, exp you can respect their, their humanity if you can't respect anything else. It's difficult. Let's take a few minutes to think about some suggestions, some tips on how to be thankful for difficult people. Number one, you don't always have to win an argument. You don't always have to agree with them on everything. Number two, it's okay if you don't share their opinions. It's okay if they don't agree with you. You know, that's not what life is all about. Total agreement and everything. There's diversity. There's so many things we don't know. There's so many things that all we can do is form an opinion about. This world is very complicated. It'd be unfair of us to expect people to think the same way we do on every little thing. Number three, you don't have to control what other people think, say, or do. Now, we do have a responsibility as Christians to warn somebody when their sin is taking them down a self-destructive path, that's a different thing. I believe in the words of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 33 when he says to Ezekiel, you're a watchman. I've set you as a watchman. And if you see someone doing something that's leading them to death and you don't warn them, their guilt I will require, but their blood will be required at your hands. They will be punished, but I will require their blood at your hands. In other words, both of you will be punished he will be punished for his sin. You will be punished because you didn't warn him about the sin when you could have. But he says, if you do warn him, he will be punished for his sin, but I will not require his blood at your hands. I believe we have a responsibility to warn people about their sins. But that's an entirely different thing from living their lives for them. You're not responsible for another person's sin. And you can't force people to behave. You can't force people to do what's right. If that were possible, this church would be full of people this morning. We'd have to 
to build an annex, we'd have to fill up our whole property with, with room for everyone because we'd be able to force people to do something, but there's no love in that. People have to make their own decisions. That's the way God made us. Sometimes, it's, sometimes we do too much. You know, Jesus said not to cast our pearls before the swine. I think sometimes all you can do is just be a good example. Like the wives that Paul advised and uh, Peter advised in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and following. But you can't force people. You don't have to control what they do. Another tip is don't get defensive. Don't take everything so personally. And sometimes people are just difficult people. I've found that a lot of times when people are giving me a hard time, it's because they've just had a hard time in life and they're hurting. And they need somebody to to take it out on. And a lot of times I make it about me and I get all personal about it. It's not personal. It's just that they're having a hard time. They're going through a difficult time. Also, listen more than talk. How can you understand what's going on with the other person if you don't listen? God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. We're supposed to use the ears more than the mouth, right? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger, James 1.19. We turn it around all the time. We talk all the time. We think we know before we listen to the other person. We're slow to give people the benefit of the doubt. But listen. Listen more than you talk. And finally, remember what this is all about. Heaven is beautiful. Hell is horrific. And every person you encounter has an immortal soul. And they're going to one place or the other. There's only two destinations. And if they're not going one way, they're going the other way. Let's not forget that. Let's not allow petty differences to get in the way of someone's eternal life. That happens so often. Be grateful for difficult people. Here's another one that's difficult. Be grateful for limitations. I think we're getting better at this because we have so few limitations. There's a song. It's an old song. I don't hear it much anymore. I think it's 57 channels and nothing on. Is it 57? It's hard to imagine only 57 channels anymore, but we have hundreds of channels and nothing's on. 57 channels and nothing on. That, that could be the anthem of our generation except 57 is too small, right? We have all these endless possibilities, and it's driving us crazy. You know, we're overloaded with decision. We have all these potential entertainment options. You remember when you just drove around with a few CDs in your car, and you didn't have to choose between one of the millions of songs you could play at any given moment? Our kids don't even know what that's like, you know. You have a television set and you can access anything, anytime you want. So what do you spend most of your time doing? Not watching TV, trying to decide what to watch on TV. By the time you finally get to something, it's too late. You've got to go to bed. It's very frustrating. Now we look at curators as people who choose our entertainment for us or choose what clothes we wear. Curators used to work in museums. You know, they would specialize in history or art, and they would pick a few things 
to put in the gallery or put on display so that those of us who don't know what to spend our time looking at and studying could go get educated or gain an appreciation of the arts of history in a museum. But now curators work for clothing companies. They work for entertainment companies, television, uh, for music. They set up playlists and things because we have so many options of entertainment, we can't decide what to, what to look at. It's getting to where we invite limitations into our life. But still, people look at Christianity and they see a set of rules. And they see regulations, commandments. And they say, I don't want the restrictions in my life. I don't want God to tell me what to do or how to love or who to love, how to live or who to love. I don't want all that in my life. I want freedom. You know, Paul was right when he said, nobody is truly free. Everyone is a slave. Romans 6, 16. If you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. It's either of righteousness or of sin, but you're slaves of the one you obey. Everyone has a taskmaster. The only choice you have is the quality of your taskmaster. Task, taskmaster, is it going to be sin? If so, you're headed down a bad path. Or is it righteousness? We're all slaves. We all have limitations. There's no such thing as absolute freedom. The choice is to find the liberating restrictions that set us free to be who we were created to be. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth, a limitation, the truth will set you free. John chapter 8, verse 32. We did a lot of traveling over the last week, like a lot of you did, and we visited with one congregation on Wednesday night. And uh, the preacher gave a good lesson about Thanksgiving. And I forgot how he got into it, but he was talking about this subject, about the need for rules, the need for law, the need for restrictions. And he told about a playground that was in a busy area along a busy street one time. And uh, the children on that playground, they didn't venture too far to the boundaries of the playground. They just stayed in the safe center of the playground all the time until they put a fence up. And when they put a fence up that blocked the playground from the road, they spread out all over the playground, used the whole area. They actually had more freedom with the fences, in a sense, than they had without the fences. That's how we need to think about Jesus Christ. His fencing, if you want to look at it that way, the truth, the commandments, the law of Christ, are protection. They free us up with liberating restrictions to be who God created us to be. So be thankful for the Bible. Be thankful for law. Be thankful for the commandments of God. They make life rich and abundant. They point us in the right direction. One last thing. Be grateful for failure. We're all familiar with failure. Everybody makes mistakes. I suppose the Apostle Paul is the best example of how to handle failure. And one time he referred to himself as the chief of all sinners. And we know Paul's background. He used to persecute Christians before he himself became one. You remember how he tried to join 
the disciples at Jerusalem and they were afraid of him because he had a bad reputation in Jerusalem. It was hard for them to believe. They knew Christ had a transforming influence, but it was hard for them to believe that anybody could be transformed the way Paul had been transformed. It's like from, from night to day. But he had gone through that transformation. He still remembered who he was, and he had to live with that for the rest of his life. And that's why I'm thankful for the words of Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Turn over with me, if you will, to Philippians 3. Look at these verses on failure. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Several things about this I want to bring up related to the subject of failure. Here's the first one. When we look at Paul's example in Philippians 3, we see, first of all, a plan. But the plan is progress, not perfection. He said that he had not already attained this, nor is he already perfect in verse 12. What is he talking about? Well, you have to back up to verses 8 through 11, and he talks about the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead. And he says, I count everything as rubbish for this goal, the goal of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowledge here being more than just intellectual knowledge, but a full, flourishing relationship with Jesus Christ. He was growing in that, but he never said that he had perfectly attained it. In fact, quite the contrary. He said, not that I have attained it, or that I am already perfect. Perfection is not a plan. You set yourself up for failure from the beginning if you plan to be perfect. But progress, that's a good plan. That was Paul's plan. Growth. Every day, getting closer to the goal. Every day, getting closer to Christ. Every day, making corrections, repentance, confession, being a regular part of your life. That's what Paul was looking for. That was his plan. That was the course that he took. Number two, the past. When it came to the past, his policy was forget it. Leave it behind. Forgetting what lies behind comes from a Greek term meaning fully forgetting. Paul used a lot of athletic terminology, especially when he wrote to Gentiles. They had different games similar to the Olympics, and they knew all about competition, athletics. And that's where this term comes from. Forgetting what lies behind was what racers did. When people run in a race, ran in a race, when they passed somebody, they didn't spend the rest of the race looking behind them to see how close they were. Have you ever seen anybody make a run in football and he gets out a little bit ahead? I've noticed when they're running and they, they always look back to see if anybody's behind them. Every time they look back, they slow down just a little bit. They look back and they slow up. If you're running in a race, you can't afford to do that. That's where this term comes from. Paul said, you know, I used to be a persecutor of Christians. I'm not going to identify with that man anymore. That man is gone. That person is no more. 
He uses the language of death in Romans 6 when he talks about baptism. And he said, when I was baptized, I left the old man of sin in a watery grave. And it's not just in baptism. It's every day you can do this. You make a mistake, you can move beyond that mistake. No, you don't forget that person, but that person is no more. You're a different person today than you were yesterday. The only question is, are you a person who's closer to Christ today or are you a person who's further away from Christ today? You can forget what lies behind. When it comes to the future, Paul says, reach for it. He probably still has the race in mind here. In a race, you reach, you stretch for the finish line. Sometimes it's the one who's leaning forward the most that crosses the finish line first. You have to reach for it. Life was never meant to be a passive existence. We are actively pursuing things. And the people who do the best, despite their failures, are those who are pursuing something great ahead of them. They have hope in their life, which is to say they have God in their life. There's an attitude here that he's looking for. It's the attitude of maturity. Did you notice what he said in verse 15? He said that if any, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You need an attitude of maturity to be able to move past your failure and to be thankful for the mistakes you've made and learn from them. But Paul gives a little grace here. He says, if any of you don't think this way, he will receive it from God. Eventually you'll get there if you keep this process, this plan of progress through forgetting and reaching. Forgetting and reaching, eventually you come to maturity. Then there's a need. And the need is to keep a high standard together. We need to run this race together. We need to forget together, reach together, support one another through it. And that's how we can be thankful for our failures. That's how we can move past them, learn from them, grow. But we must do it together. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you struggle with that? Hopefully this morning we've given you a little help through Scripture to, to deal with that. Count your blessings, but count your challenges too. Because it's in the difficult matters that we see true faith. In the trials, that's where the growth occurs. There's not a person in here who's not going through something right now. We're here for each other because... There's so much to deal with in this life. Some of you are carrying tremendous burdens this morning. But there's something to be thankful for, even in that. Because God is good. And He works all things together for our good. And if you need a little help with that this morning, if you need prayer, or if you're ready to become a Christian, we're going to sing an invitation song. And if we can encourage you, let us do that. Give us an opportunity to do that right now as we stand together and as we sing.